Okay, so we are holding here in Yeshua, and we're holding by Perik Chaf, by chapter 20. And tonight, um, our goal is we're going to finish the Sefer Yeshua. The Sefer Yeshua is 24 Prokim. I said last week that tonight we might finish the Sefer and begin the next one, but I think we're just going to finish and make the Siyam on Yeshua tonight and begin the next one next week in Mirza Hashem, Shoiftim. Um, so as I said, we're holding by Perik Chaf, and we're really in the middle of the last stages of Yeshua's dividing the land of Eretz Yisrael. Um, we discussed last week that Yeshua is already coming to the end of his of his days, and Hashem says that although you're not going to see the entire land inherited, but nevertheless you should already divide it amongst the Shvatim and give each one what their section is going to be, and then each Shevet will be ultimately responsible for inheriting and settling their part of the land. So in the in the prakim leading up to where we are, he already we already divided it to all the shvatim. Um, just in short, we 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 went uh, shevet by shevet really. Um, in Tesvav, we talked about Yehuda. In Tesayin, Ephraim. In Yudzayin, Menashe. Um, Yudches, uh, Binyamin. And in Yutes, the last one, Shimon, Zvulun, Yisachar, Asher, Naftali, Don. So really, by the end of Perik Yutes, Yeshua has already divided Eretz Yisrael among the nine and a half Shavatim. And the reason I say nine and a half is because, as we know, two and a half already received their portion from uh, Moshe Rabbeinu on the other side of the Yardin. Right? They had Reuven and God and half of Menashe that Moshe Rabbeinu gave them their portion uh, because of their request on the other side of the Yardin. So Yeshua was dividing and um, dividing the land amongst the other nine and a half and really, that was concluded in Perich Yotes, which is, again, what we finished with last week. So now, in the beginning of Perich Chaf, we deal with another interesting thing, which goes, which is, it's like so, like most of this is really finishing up, um, so to speak, business that already began in the Chumash, and that is the concept of the Ari Miklat, um, designating cities of refuge, the Ari Miklat. Um, the mitzvah, the mitzvah Hashem already gave to Moshe Rabbeinu in the Chumash, and it's mentioned a couple of times in the Chumash, and the idea being that there's going to be cities that are set aside, and they are called the Ari Miklat, and that is for someone who accidentally kills someone. And we know that uh, of all the Averis murder, Chas is uh, it's, got, it's definitely the worst in, cer- in certain ways for sure. Um, and even when someone kills accidentally, they need a tremendous kapara, tremendous atonement. And the type of atonement that Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu is that the, the one who murders accidentally has to go and live in this city. And as the Torah says, until the passing of the Kayin Gadol. So uh, if, if a person really could live there till the end of his life easily in one of those cities of refuge. Now, when Hashem gives Moshe the mitzvah, he says that I want you to designate six cities. Sheish Ari Miklat, six cities of refuge. Three are going to be on the eastern side of the Yardin before you cross the Yardin, and three, when you cross over the Yardin. Um, and that's how there's going to be six. So really, it's not divided proportionately amongst the Shvatim, because, as we know, on the one side of the Yardin, you only have two and a half Shvatim, and on the other side, in Eretz Yisrael proper, you have an additional nine and a half. So we're not talking about a even uh, proportion. And yet, Hashem says, three of the Arimiklat should be designated on the side of Moshe Rabbeinu, before they cross, and the additional three on the other side of the Yardin. Now, 
the Ari Miklat were not going to become effective until all six were designated. So all six have to be designated in order for them to become effective. Nevertheless, Moshe Rabbeinu already designated three on his side of the Yardin before crossing over into Eretz Yisrael. And Rashi tells us there from the Gemara that from there we learn the concept of when you have the ability to do a mitzvah, you should never push it off. So even though Moshe could have said, listen, it's not going to be effective anyway until Klal Yisrael comes into Eretz Yisrael, but Moshe Rabbeinu did not make that cheshbon, he did not make that calculation, and he designated three during his lifetime. But now, after Yehoshua already um, divided the land of Eretz Yisrael to the additional nine and a half shvatim, so now he goes ahead and he designates the additional, or the second, three Ari Mikla, bringing it to the number six. Um, so now all of them become effective. Um, interestingly, one of them is actually Hebron. Um but that's what Yeshua designates now the um, the additional six. I'm sorry, the additional three are Miklot, bringing it to a total of six altogether. Now, so although Yeshua finished with that the concept of Ari Miklot, but we know there's going to be an additional step of Ari Miklot that Yeshua doesn't deal with, and that is there's a pasuk in Parshas Shaftim where it says that Moshe Rabbeinu is told to do six, but he says ultimately Im Yarchiv Hashem as Gvulcha. When there will come a time that the borders of Eretz Yisrael will be broadened, then Hashem tells Moshe you should add an additional three, bringing them to nine. Now, when is that talking about? That we don't have in Tanakh. In Tanakh, that never happens. Right? Moshe did the first three, Yeshua did the second three. And what does the Pasuk mean in Shaftim when it says, when there will be a broadening of the borders of Eretz Yisrael, then you add an additional three? And here the Gemara tells us, and Rambam tells us, that he's referring to the times of Mashiach. And why is that? Why is it that when Mashiach will come, there will be an additional um, broadening of the borders of Eretz Yisrael? So here, the Gemara tells us, and the Rambam tells us something very interesting, and that is that when Hashem initially gave Eretz Yisrael to us, when He promised it to Avram Avinu by the Bris Ben Habsarim, He promises him the land, and He enumerates a land of ten nations. And this is in Parshas Lech Lecha, by that first covenant of Hashem with Avram, so Hashem enumerates a land of ten nations and goes through ten individual nations. Now, from when Moshe Rabbeinu takes Klal Yisrael out of, Mitz- out of Mitzrayim, and he says, we're going to the promised land, he keeps on talking a land of seven nations. And the question is, what happened with the additional three? Actually, the first three, the first three nations that Hashem promises Avram were Kani, Kenizi, and Kadmoni. And those nations were never conquered by Moshe or by Yeshua in the entire story, or even by David HaMelech. In the entire story of the conquest of Eretz Yisrael, the additional three nations were never conquered, never even mentioned. The question is, what happened with them? So the Gemara tells us that those three nations were given to other descendants of Avram. They were the nations of Amon, Moyav, and Edom. You know, Amon and Moab are both the children of Lot. And Adam is from Esav. So these are all relations to Avram Avinu. So the first three of the ten nations that are promised to us in Eretz Yisrael never make it to Klal Yisrael. They're given to other relations, again, Amon, Moab, Edom, and they are other relations of Avram Avinu. However, um, the Gemara says, that although we didn't receive them then, when Mashiach will come, then we'll receive the entire Eretz Yisrael 
with all t- the area of all of those ten nations, including Amun, Moyev, and Edom. And that's what the Pasuk means when it says in Parshas Sheftim, Im Yarchiv Hashem is Gvulcha, that when Hashem will broaden the land of Eretz Yisrael. So then you'll add an additional three Ari Miklot, that will be much later, when Mashiach will come, that then we'll finally get Eretz Yisrael, Hashlima, the entire Eretz Yisrael, the entire Eretz Yisrael, which was promised to Avram Avinu initially by Brisbane Hafsar. So, so when we talk about the Ari Mikla, there's really three stages in the Ari Mikla. There's in the time of Moshe Rabbeinu, and Moshe Rabbeinu designated the first three Ari Mikla on, on that side of the Jordan, at that side of the Yarden, before coming into Eretz Yisrael. In this parak, parak of uh, Yeshua, Yeshua designates the next three Ari Mikla, and at that time the Ari Mikla become effective, and they work as cities of refuge. And ultimately, when Mashiach will come, which is not discussed in Yeshua, obviously, is when we'll have the finality of the additional three Ari Miklot, bringing it to the um, to the full total of the nine Ari Miklot, when we have the entire Eretz Yisrael. One question. Those, those Ari Miklot, will they be in those three lands, Amnon, uh, Edom, and Moab? Or what's the yes, 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 exactly. Oh, they will be in those three yes, exactly so. Yes. Right. Okay. Excellent question. Excellent question. Always someone at this point typically asks that question. Thank you for doing it for everyone. Which is, it sounds somewhat anticlimactic. You know, Mashiach is coming. Guess what? We have more Ari Miklot. You know, more place for accidental murderers. What's that all about? And that's a a very interesting question and something that's dealt with in different Sfarim and different answers as suggested. Um, I'll just tell you the answer that the Rebbe gives for it. The Rebbe has an entire Sicha um, precisely on that question and brings one answer, and debates it, and another answer, and the Rebbe suggests a very original answer. And he says that the concept of the Ari Miklat is to bring atonement for a person who killed accidentally. Now, all of the people who killed accidentally throughout the entire 2,000 years of Golos are going to need Ari Miklat. And that's what those additional three are for. It's not for people who are going to kill accidentally once Mashiach comes, because once Mashiach comes, there'll be a time of goodness, not a time of accidental killing. But nevertheless, it's there to bring kapara for the people who need it for all of these thousands of years. Now, this is unfortunately something that happens, you know, a car accident or whatever it is, and someone is killed accidentally. So the Mashiach will come, there will be this arimikla to bring the final sense of kapara for all of these people. Um, so that's how the Rebbe resolves this question. Uh, typically, someone might ask, so how long will they have to stay there when Mashiach will come? Um, and that's a, I don't have an answer to that question. It's not something that I've seen an answer given. Um, when it comes to Mashiach's coming, there's different stages within Mashiach as well. And it would seem for some period of time they would have to stay there. But exactly for how long, I don't know. Right, because the priest won't die. Right, that, so that, yeah. that's why that becomes a question. Um, if it's dependent on the death of the Kohen Gadol in a time when there won't be death, how do we deal with that? And again, so I don't have an answer to that question, so I don't know. I don't know. Um, but that's how the Rebbe explains that question. And it's, it's interesting. It's interesting because... Really, you know, we have 613 mitzvahs in the Torah. The only mitzvah, the only one mamish of all the 613 that was never in history able to be fully fulfilled is Ari Mikla. Because it's the only mitzvah that a part of it is contingent on the coming of Mashiach. So when it comes to the Karbanais or the Beis HaMikdash, we had that. You know, we had the first Beis HaMikdash, we had the second Beis HaMikdash, we had the Karbanais, we had kings, we had judges... 
We had everything. So every one of the 613 had the ability of being fulfilled sometime in our history. Now, today we're missing a tremendous amount of mitzvahs, but it was around at some point. The only mitzvah that somehow, like, um, intrinsically connected with Mashiach, that cannot, will, will not be fulfilled in its fullest way until Mashiach comes, is this mitzvah of Ari Mikla. Which, which again begs the question, why is it that this mitzvah, more than any, is so connected with the coming of Mashiach? And there's a lot of chassidus on it. I don't want to get into it. I'll just suffice it for one point, which is the concept of Mikla means refuge and kapara and atonement. And the ultimate um, and greatest refuge of anything negative and atonement of any of anything will be when Mashiach will come. So the shleimos of kapara, the shleimos of atonement, and the shleimos of miklat, of refuge, of anything evil, will be when Mashiach will come. And that's why this mitzvah is sort of synonymous with the coming of Mashiach when this mitzvah will be b'shleimos. So that's as far as the Ari miklat. Again, we, get, we went off into it a little bit here in chapter Chof, because this is when um, Yehoshua um, designates and sets aside the, again, the numbers, uh, the Ari Miklat number 4, 5, and 6, making all six Ari Miklat effective. Okay, so that is, in short, um, the main idea that's discussed in chapter 20 in Perik Chaf of Yeshua. Okay, which brings us to Perik Chaf Aleph. In Chaf Aleph, we have another important part of the story of the division of Eretz Yisrael, and that is Shevet Levi. Because... Shevet Levi is the one Shevet that didn't receive a portion of the land. And we know, in fact, that's a mitzvah. It's a mitzvah in the Torah that Shevet Levi not receive a part of Eretz Yisrael. We talked about this in the previous class because their job was to be the teachers, their job was to be the scholars, their job was to be the um, priests in the Beis HaMikdash. Whether Levim or Kohanim are both from Shevet Levi. Right? Shevet Levi is made up of two distinctions. You have the Kohanim, who are the ones who actually work in the Beis HaMikdash as far as bringing the Karbanis and so on. And then you have the Levim, who also worked in the Beis HaMikdash um, in helping in many ways in music. Um, so the entire Shevet Levi is seen as the Shevet that's their job to be the spiritual leaders and guides of Klal Yisrael. As Yaakov benches them, he says, Yeru Mishpatecha Yaakov, not Yaakov, Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu at the end of the Torah says, Yeru Mishpatecha Yaakov, you'll teach the Mishpatim. Yisrael, um, the Torah. And therefore, they are told that they're not going to get a part of the land as far as to work through the land and agriculture and so on. But they still need a place to live. So that's what's discussed in Perich HaFalaf. Perich HaFalaf, we have the Levim who come to Yeshua and they say, what's with us? You know, where are we going to live? We have to live We have to live as well. And Yeshua says, of course, and basically every Shevet is going to give cities for the Levim. So they're not considered inheritors of the land, that a certain section of the land becomes theirs. But on the other hand, they have um, ayaris, cities, that are given, every shevet, every tribe had to give cities for the Levian to live in. And altogether, there was 42 such cities. Membes, 42 such cities. Um, 42 is a name that, that keeps on coming up in the Torah. It's a... Uh, Definitely a name with a lot of Kabbalistic significance, which we're not going to get into. Um, we know that the Kal Yisrael traveled 42 journeys in the Midbar. Um, 42 is, uh, again, it's one of Hashem's name is Membeis. 42 is all over the place. But the point is, the Levine were given 42. And they also lived in the six Ari Miklat that we talked about in the previous chapter. So, in Peter Chof, the chapter we just finished, we talked about that 
the um, Yeshua designates the six land cities of refuge. So those cities of refuge are there for um, a, a, someone who murders accidentally. But who are the full-time residents there? So the full-time residents are the Levim. The Levim live in the Ori Miklat, and now in the additional 42 cities that are given to them or donated by the other Shvatim. Which means altogether the Levim had 48 cities. Memches, 48 cities within which the Levim lived. And here Yeshua says something interesting, which is that even though there's only six official cities of refuge, but really every city where the Levim lived also became a city of refuge. So really all 48 cities that the Levim have now to live in are Ari Miklot, are cities where if someone kills accidentally, they're able to go there and they're able to find a refuge and safety, a safe haven in those 48 cities. Which begs the question, so are there six cities of refuge or are there 48 cities of refuge? Like In last period, we learned that there are six. And now it says you have to give the Levim an additional 42 cities and all of their cities become cities of refuge. So then what's the difference between the six versus the 42? They're all Ari Mikla. So this is a halachic question, actually. Rambam talks about it. And he says, he says, interestingly, he says the, the, uh, the original six, they provide a safe haven and refuge for anyone who lives there, whether the person inte- came there intentionally for refuge or not. The six cities are there. They're the official designated cities of refuge by Hashem. So if someone lives there, he's automatically in safe haven. Versus the other 42 they only, um, they only give miklat, they only give a safe haven and refuge if a person has kavana that he wants to be here for the safety of the city. So that's one difference that the Rambam says. And the second difference Rambam says is that when it comes to the initial six cities of refuge, when a person runs to that city for refuge, he doesn't even have to pay for his home. That city is made for him. However, if you show up in one of the other 42 cities, then you got to pay rent to the levy whose house you're taking from. So these are the distinctions between the six versus the additional 42 halachically. So again, all 48 ultimately serve as Ari Mikla, the cities of refuge. It's just that the, the first six, they provide refuge whether you have kavana or not, no matter what, if you're there, you're safe. And in those six, you don't have to pay rent if, you're, if, you're, if you have to live there. Um, but the other 42, they belong more for the Levim to live. They do provide refuge, provided that you're there with the kavana for safety and you have to pay your rent, while, and one would have to pay their rent while they're there as well. But, sure. Basically, it was pretty much, yeah. It, I mean, I, I don't have the, the Tanakh open in front of me. It says exactly how much cities each tribe gave. It's almost almost, uh, almost equal, yeah. Okay. Almost equal, yeah. Um, one last point on that, which is the Torah gives us here a very powerful message about someone who needs kapara. Because here you have here you have the murderers. You have, you have people who need so much atonement. So who do they live with? The most spiritual people of the generation. They live with the Levim. And that's such a, a, tel- a powerful message, which is when we want to affect someone in a positive way and bring them to a better place and a more spiritual place, is by connecting them and bringing them to the people who are most spiritual, who are most able to um, to uh, to be mashpi on them, to help them, to help them grow. And that's a message also for the Levian. 
You might think you're such a big tzaddik, such a spiritual person, so you want to live only with biggest tzaddikim. No, no, no. You go live in the city where the people who need the biggest kapara will need as well. So it's that, it's that double message. It's almost like the message that we say by the Pesach Seder about that the Chacham is right next to the Russia. Right, Chacham Rasha Tam Sheni Deilisho. This is one of the dvartayers that the kids come home with. Is um, why is the Russia next to the Chacham? And the answer is because if the Russia is going to be affected, it's going to be by the Chacham. So the one who needs the most help, the most kapara, should be next to the one who has the most to give, and the one who's most spiritual should see to, should make it their business that they seek out and they find the one who needs the most help in order to be helpful to them. And that's the special message of Torah. You know, you have today's prison system that uh, the Rebbe spoke many times, that the prison system is not the Torah way. The prison system, you take, you're taking all the criminals and putting them together. So who's going to be, uh, who's exactly uh, being mashpia over here to get better? And the Torah's system of, of a city of refuge is the one who needs the most kapari. You put them together with a levy to live. You give them the best, uh, the best uh, surroundings in order to bring them to the kapari that they need. And that's uh, an idea of the Arimi Club. So that is, that ends Perik Chof Aleph. And at the end of the Perik, um, it, there's this pasuk that says, okay, so now we're finished with the Chaluka Veres Yisrael. Um, let me open it up here. The last uh, last words, very beautiful words of Perik Chafalaf 21. Hashem has given out the entire land that he had sworn, taken the oath to give to their ancestors. They've inherited and, and, and live in it. Hashem made, now there's no wars. No man stood before them from all their enemies. Everyone Hashem gave in their hands. Nothing of all the good promises that Hashem has made has fallen. Everything was realized at this point. And this is the end of Perech chapter 21. At this point, again, Yeshua has already um, divided all the Shvatim, all the nine and a half in Israel, and now he's already taking care of Shevet Levi, and he's taking care of the Ari Miklat. This is really the ending of the Chalukah of Eretz Yisrael. Okay, that is Chafav. So that, that brings us to Chavbeis. In Chavbeis now, if we're finished with all of the nations that are in Eretz Yisrael, now Yeshua sends back home the two and a half nations that received their Yerusha outside of Eretz Yisrael. Because, and here's something very interesting, when back in Chumash, when those two and a half nations of um, Reuven and God and half Menashe came, come to Moshe and they say, We want to inherit outside of Eretz Yisrael, Moshe Rabbeinu makes with them a stipulation. And the stipulation is that, you know, he's afraid that the people, that the Jewish people are going to be afraid. So you have to lead your brethren into war in the land of Israel. Now, Moshe really only stipulated with them that they have to lead the battles in the land of Israel. They added and said, not just are we going to stick around in the land of Israel for the battles, we're going to stick around until the entire land is divided and everyone is already settled in their part of Eretz Yisrael. Now that's 14 years, because the battles were about 7 years, and the division and settling was an additional 7 years. So now it's already 14 years into Eretz Yisrael, and they stuck around. They, they did exactly what they said they would do. Bnei God, Bnei Ruven, Chatsi Shevet, Menashe. And now, in the beginning of Perich Beis, Yeshua calls a meeting of those two and a half Shvatim, and he says, it's time to go home. He says, now you're able to go back, being that you have uh, faithfully fulfilled 
the promise that you made to Meshur Rabbeinu and you've been here throughout the wars and then throughout the settling, now it's time for you to go back to the Avra Yardin, which is not so far, but it's, it's still, it's across the Yardin, outside of Eretz Yisrael. Yeshua gives them the official permission and he admonishes them that you go back home and you should fulfill and, you know, keep on the, the Torah and mitzvahs and go back to where, to your, to your section, where their wives and children were. Right, because their wives, their children, as, as well as their possessions and their cattle and so on, had been left on the other side of the Yardin. Now, I mean, it's not again. We're not talking about big distances. It's not as if they hadn't visited home in 14 years, but nevertheless, they didn't go back to officially settle in their land until this point. And it's at this point that Yeshua says, "It's time for you. You fulfilled your mission. You fulfilled your promise. It's time for you to return to your families and to settle that side of Eretz Yisrael as well." And they do that. They go back home. But then a very interesting thing happens, something that somehow, I don't know if, it's, uh, if everyone remembers this, this story. And that is, they come back to the other side of the yarding, and one of the first things that they do is they build a very big mizbeach, very big altar in their side of the yarding, which is outside of Israel. Now, the nine and a half shvatim that are in Israel are seeing this. They have, you know, their satellites and their cameras. And they see that on the other side of the Yardin, those two and a half shvatim are building a big mizbeach. And all everyone's antennas go up. What does that mean? Why are they building a mizbeach over there? After all, the mishkan is here. The mishkan is in Shiloh. Now we know the halacha is that when we have the central Beis HaMikdash, or the central mishkan, you're not allowed to build a mizbeach anywhere else. So, Kalal Yisrael, the nine and a half shvatim who are in Eretz Yisrael, get the message that our brethren, those two and a half shvatim, went back home and immediately they built themselves their own mezbeach. They looked at it. It must be that they're just splitting off totally. You know, they, they brought us to our place. They saw us to our home. They went back home and they want to build themselves their own besamikdash. They want to serve their own way. And they felt that they were just totally, they want to split. They want to cut themselves off from Klal Yisrael. So much so, that Klal Yisrael gathers and they want to go to war against those two and a half Shvatim. This is a, this is a story from Tanakh. They, they, they feel that they've been totally betrayed, they're building their own base on Mikdash, they're starting everything, and Klal Yisrael gathers to go to war. But before they go to war, they send a delegation, a very important delegation. And that delegation is headed by Pinchas. Pinchas ben Elazar. Pinchas, who's the son of Elazar. Elazar is the Kohen Godel. Right, you have Yeshua as the Nasi, Elazar as the Kohen Gadol, and the son Pinchas, who we know Pinchas still you know, from throughout Chumash, from the great Sadiqim. Pinchas goes together with one leader of every Shevet. So it's Pinchas plus ten leaders, plus ten Nasim, that they cross the Yardin, and they come to the two and a half Shvatim on the other side of the Yardin, and they say, what's going on here? What, what is this? Are you guys really breaking off? Are you, So quickly have you forgotten the ways of Torah and the ways of mitzvahs and the, that the Mishkan is by us and there's only one Mizbeach and one way to serve Hashem. And the two and a half Shvatim say, this is a terrible mistake. We didn't mean anything in any way to rebel. And not just that. They said, our Mizbeach is not meant to use. We built it to always remember the Mizbeach in Shilei. We built it so our children who grow up here should know that there's a Mizbeach and there's a Hashem that we serve. And it's there only as a reminder, as a big token reminder, for, especially for our children, 
that they should remember that we serve Hashem and that we go to the real Mizbeach. And of course, we're going to come to Shile. Of course, we're going to cross over the Yardin. This is built as a reminder that our children should see every day what we're about and who we serve and so on and so forth. And the Pinchas and the Shvatim recognized that they're saying the truth and they meant it fully L'Shem Shemayim. And that war that almost happened was, was totally averted. Um, just a, an obvious lesson. Before you go to war, you send a delegation, you find out what's really going on. And here, this is what happened. And so many wars, all different types of wars can be averted by speaking and finding out exactly what's going on and recognizing that not just what we see at the first glance is what's really happening. And that's what happened here. And they benched them and they came back to uh, Bnei Yisrael and they said there's no problem here and there's no rebellion. And they're shlemim, these people are shlemim, they're, they're complete in their amuna in the service of Hashem. And to the contrary, what they're doing was only something to be mechazik them, to strengthen them and specifically their children and have that as a symbol to remember that they're Avdi Hashem. And all of that is discussed there in, in Perich Chavbez. Now, what's interesting is, and I'll finish with Perich Chavbez, when, when, um, when Pinchas hears the words of this of the Shvatim and he, and he accepts them, and he says, okay, we're all good. So the Pasuk says, and it's in Perich Chavbez, Pasuk Lamid, Vayishma Pinchas HaKohen Unnesiyeh HaEda Pinchas the Kohen and the leaders heard, etc., etc. And the Gemara says that it's interesting that he's called here Pinchas HaKohen. Pinchas is mentioned many times, and he's not called Pinchas HaKohen. If anything, he's usually called Pinchas Ben Elazar, Ben Aaron HaKohen. Why is Pinchas called Pinchas HaKohen over here, specifically over here? And the Gemara says something very interesting. And that is that we know Pinchas, although his grandfather is a Kohen, Aaron, and his father is a Kohen, Pinchas wasn't initially a Kohen. Why was he not initially a Kohen? Nowadays, if a father is a Kohen, so is the son. That's the way it goes. But when Hashem initially chose Aaron, he chose Aaron and Elazar. Aaron, Elazar, and Isamra, that is. He didn't chose the, chose the grandson. So anyone who was born after that time was automatically a coin. But when the initial choice of Kahuna was made, Pinchas wasn't chosen to be a coin. So when did Pinchas become a coin? So typically, when we learn Chumash, we understand he became a coin after the act when he killed Zimri, right? Zimri and Cosby. You had that story in the end of Parshas, um, in the end of Parshas uh, uh, Chukas. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Nenaparsha's Balak. Nenaparsha's Balak, where you had the prince of, the Jewish prince of, uh, the leader of the tribe of Shimon, who um, he um, he has these marital relations with this uh, Midianite princess, Cosby, and everyone's crying in front of Meshur Bain, and Pinchas takes the spear, and he kills um, Cosby and um, Zimri. So there, the Pasuk says, in the beginning of Parsha's Pinchas, uh, Hashem promises I'll give him the bris of Shalom. So we typically think that's when he became a coin. Says the Gemara. That's when it was promised. But he never fully became a coin until this story in Yeshua. When he was able to create Shalom between the two and a half tribes and the rest of Kal Yisrael. The act that was actually able to give him the gift of Kahuna had to be an act of peace. An act of bringing shalom amongst Yidim. And therefore, being that he played this tremendous role at this very pivotal junction in time, because, again, there could have been a civil war. The, the Jewish people were, there was a civil war brewing. And Pinchas was the one who had the schus to bring shalom. 
between the two and a half Shvatim and the nine and a half Shvatim, that's why at that point the Kahuna was cemented that, that he was a Kohen forever, and that's why it's Dafke here in this Pasuk, where the Pasuk says, Vayishma Pinchas HaKohen, says Chazal, Loiniskahin Pinchas. Pinchas did not fully become a Kohen until this point when he brought Sholem between the Shvatim of Hashem which is an amazing concept, even though he did a great act of zealousness earlier, and it was great, but to get the full kahuna, it had to come through an act of bringing shalom, and that's what he did in this um, in this, in this parak of, of Tanakh. And with that, we finish parak Chav Beis of Yehoshua. Okay? So it's a, at this point, really, the story is almost over, because Yeshua has, has fulfilled his job. He's He's uh, divided the entire Eretz Yisrael, taken care of Shevet Levi, taken care of Ari Miklat, sent back the two and a half Shvatim to the other side. And now in Perich of Gimel, Yeshua gathers the leaders of Klal Yisrael and he has a, a, a meeting with the Zikanim and he goes through with them the different Nifloys, the different wonders that Hashem did with them as the conqueror Eretz Yisrael. And he commands them, he says, I'm going to pass away shortly, and he commands them that they should stay strong and hold on to the ways of Hashem. And he says that as long as you stay strong with the ways of Hashem, you will be matzliach, continue to succeed, and Hashem will be with you just as He's been with you till now. However, he says, if the Klai Yisrael will go away from the ways of Hashem, so then that protection that you've seen, the miraculous protection and miraculous successes that you've seen throughout the, throughout these uh, conquering and, and, and uh, dividing of Eretz Yisrael, that um, help will not be with you anymore. And that was his final parting tzivui to the zikanim, to the leaders who were going to lead after he passes away. That's the story of Perich of Gimel. And Perich of Dalid, which is the final Perich, now he calls all of Klal Yisrael together. And that's the difference. Perich of Gimel, in 123, he calls the Zikanim, the leaders, and gives them the basic, uh, sets down the basic rules that, he, that, that they should continue. And then in Perich of Dalid, he is Ma'asef, he gathers the entire Klal Yisrael, and he gathers them to the city of Shechem, one of the last cities that they were able to uh, fully conquer, and uh, settled was the city of Shechem. And he gathers all of Klal Yisrael, all of the nations of Klal all of the uh, Shvatim of Klal Yisrael to the city of Shechem. And he even brings there the, the Oren, the Oren Bris Hashem, um, from the Mishkan. The Mishkan, you'll remember, is in Shiloi. Um, it's not clear why this gathering happened in Shechem and not in Shiloi. And again, he had to bring the Oren from Shiloi to Shechem. Uh, the Mepharshim talk about it. There's the Radak, I don't remember if I've mentioned the Radak by name, but he's one of the great commentators to Tanakh. The Radak is a is an acronym for Rabbi David Kimchi. He lived some, I think, seven or eight hundred years ago. Uh, from the, one of the great uh, commentators on Tanakh, and he discusses why this final covenant was made Dafke in Shechem. Um, he says, interestingly, Shechem is the first place Avram Avinu came to when he came into Eretz Yisrael. In the beginning of Parshas Lech Lecha, when Avram comes to, to Eretz Yisrael, the first place he comes to is Shechem. Um, Shechem is also, and we'll discuss that shortly, is the place that Yaakov acquired in this week's Parsha, actually. In this week's Parsha, Parsha's Vayishlach, um, Yaakov leaves Haran, and he comes up, he's going back to Eretz Yisrael, and he buys an area in the city of Shechem. Right? That's where he had the whole story with Dina and Hamor, the son of Shechem. But Shechem is one of the places that Yaakov actually acquires, and then Yaakov sees tremendous nisim, tremendous miracles in Shechem. Because after the whole story with Dina, there's many wars that the nation, that the other, um, the nations of the time waged against Yaakov and his sons, and Yaakov sees a tremendous amount of uh, miraculous um, 
uh, Nisim of Hashem and saving him and his family. So Shechem is definitely a great place in the history of Kal Yisro. And for whatever reason, this is the place that Yeshua chose to make his final covenant with Kal Yisro. And this is again just before he passes away, and he calls the entire Kal Yisrael to Shechem. And there he talks, he starts talking about the chasadim of Hashem, all of Hashem's um, uh, chasadim with Klal Yisrael from when they left Mitzrayim. He goes through, he goes through step by step, and then Hashem took us out of Mitzrayim, and he talks about the nisan that Hashem did with the Kriyas Yamsuf, and then in the desert. In fact, interestingly, a number of the psukim that we say in Haggadah Shal Pesach, on the night of Pesach, is taken from this chapter, chapter 24 of Yeshua, in that great covenant that Yeshua made with Klal Yisro before his passing away. And then Yeshua tells the Jewish people, he says, at this point, I want all of you to tell me clearly, are you choosing to continue to serve Hashem? He says, I'm not going to be here anymore. You know, you have to understand, Moshe Rabbeinu passed away, now Yeshua passed away. Moshe and Yeshua are like on a level all by themselves. Moshe is the ultimate Moshe Rabbeinu, and Yeshua was his Talmud, and they were seen in a different light as all the other shayftim that come after them. So Yeshua is about to pass on, and he says, I want you to choose and tell me. He says, Are you, do you choose to serve only Hashem? And then he says, and if you don't serve Hashem, Hashem's protection will be removed from you. And all of Klai's soul responds, and the ends, no, we accept Hashem, and Hashem is our king, and we're going to serve him. And Yeshua uh, makes this covenant with them, and he writes it all down, and he puts up a monument to remember Remember this covenant that Kal Yisrael took to continue in the ways of Hashem even after he passes away. And the Pasuk finishes with that and then it says that Yeshua passes away. He's 110 years old at the time. So he lived 10 years shorter than Moshe Rabbeinu. Um, and he is buried in the Nachala in the section of Ephraim in Eretz Yisrael, which is his, that's where he comes from. Yeshua is part of Shevet Ephraim, something we've discussed, I believe, in the past. And it says... In an interesting pasuk, it says that he is buried in the Shevet Ephraim, Mitzafon Lahar Gash. Uh, north of Har Gash, literally, is like a uh, like a volcanic mountain, volcanic like, like a mountain that's gushing. And the question is, what's that all about? Why, why was there a volcano going on when Yeshua passes away? And Chazal say in the Gemara, just so many interesting different um, nuances. It says that Hashem was unhappy with the Jewish people when Yeshua died, that they didn't mourn him enough. Because Yeshua was the one who brought them into Israel. He's the one who gave them everything. At the end of the day, Moshe passed away on the other side of the yard, and he led every war, he led every battle, he divided Israel. And the Gemara says somehow when he passed away, the, the Jewish people were still too busy with settling the land. So they, they, took, they buried him. But a leader like Yeshua deserved a much greater level of mourning and eulogizing and so on and so forth. And that's why the mountains around were sputtering with fire. That was an expression that there was a certain anger, um, upsetness of Hashem and the Jewish people that they didn't adequately uh, mourn and eulogize this tremendous tzaddik and leader that really gave them everything they had in Eretz Yisrael. From here the Gemara learns the importance of truly mourning, especially for any Yidin, especially someone um, who you receive so much from. Um, the Pasuk goes on, the last few Psukim of Yeshua, and says that Kal Yisrael did keep their covenant, and they kept on serving Hashem after Yeshua passed away, um, and during the days of the Skenim, the elders who were part of Yeshua's court, um, according to Mepharshim, like an, an additional 28 years or so. 
that the Klai Yisrael was, uh, remained true to the covenant that they took, and they followed in the ways of Hashem that they were taught through Moshe and through Yeshua. And then the Pasuk finishes, the last two Psukim, and one says that the, there's another burial that took place at this time, which is a burial that's a very long time in coming, and that is of Yosef HaTzadik. Now, we know that Yosef HaTzadik died in Mitzrayim, so we're talking about uh, many, many years earlier. But when Klai Yisrael left Mitzrayim, they took with them the remains of Yosef. Right? We know that um, in Parshas Vayichi, um, that Yosef tells the Jewish people that I'm going to die, and but ultimately you're going to come out of Mitzrayim, and I want you to take my remains and to bury me ultimately in Eretz Yisrael. And when they left Mitzrayim, it was Moshe Rabbeinu that did that. Yes. I don't. I don't hear you. I'm not sure if that's. It could be. It's my microphone. One second. I'm sorry. Can you try again? Now I hear. Yeah, I hear you now. Yes. Okay. And my question was: Wasn't it also the remains of all the Shvatim who came with? That's correct. That's correct. The remains of all the Shvatim were taken. Although the pasuk clearly talks about Yosef, but Rashi says all of them, all of them were taken as well. But the pasuk talks about Yosef, and here it talks about Yosef's burial. It's quite possible the other Shvatim were buried in different places in Eretz Yisrael. The pasuk doesn't talk about them clearly, but you're correct that all of the remains of all the Shvatim were taken with them, with Kal Yisrael, through the Midbar, into Eretz Yisrael. But here, at the end of Yeshua, it says that Yosef was now going to be buried in Shechem. Now, Yosef being buried in Shechem, which is the same place where Yeshua makes the covenant, is a very amazing concept, because really Yaakov promised that to Yosef all those years earlier. In Parshas Vayichi, Yaakov tells Yosef, when Yaakov's asking Yosef, please take care of burying me, remember, Yaakov, Yosef was the one who buried Yaakov, in Eretz Yisrael, Yaakov tells Yosef, And Rashi says that Yaakov promised Yosef Shechem. Specifically, Shechem was promised to Yosef again hundreds of years earlier. And now it's at the end of Yeshua that that promise is going to be uh, fulfilled. And the Gemara says something very interesting. We know Yosef was kidnapped by his brothers and sold. Where was he taken from? Shechem. Right? When Yaakov sent the brothers, when Yaakov sent Yosef to his brothers, and the brothers then took Yosef and sold him, and he went to Egypt and started this whole thing in motion, it was from Shechem. Says the Gemara, Mishchem Lakhu, he was taken from Shechem, and ultimately he was returned to Shechem. That Shechem was somehow was a special place that Yaakov acquired, as I said earlier. There's only three places in Eretz Yisrael that we know that the Tanakh says we acquired monetarily. What are the three places in Eretz Yisrael we acquired monetar- monetarily? So we have Hebron, Avram acquired. We have the the Temple Mount, Har Hamoria, which David HaMelech acquired from Aravna, and we have Shechem, which Yaakov acquired from Shechem and Hamor. So those are the three places. Um, of course, as history would have it, the three places that the that we have the oldest record that we acquired are the three places that are most contested till today, as are the ownership of the Jewish people, right? Hebron and Shechem and, and the Temple Mount. But that's, I guess, that's the irony of things. And so this Shechem, which is one of the holiest places of Eretz Yisrael, is the place where Yosef HaTzadik is going to be buried. And that's mentioned right here at the end of Yoshua. And the very final Pasuk is that one more great Tzadik is going to pass away at this time. And that is Elazar the Kohen Gadol, um, who worked throughout together with Yoshua. 
just like Yehoshua was really in the place of Moshe Rabbeinu, Elazar was in the place of Aaron HaKohen. So now after Yeshua passes away and Yosef is buried, now Elazar ben Aaron is going to pass away as well. And it says he's buried in the place of his son Pinchas that was given to them in the portion of Ephraim. Remember, they didn't have a portion of their own, right? Because they're Kohen. A Kohen is part of Shevet Levi. So Elazar doesn't have his own place, but nevertheless, they had a certain eerie that was given to them. And that's where Elazar HaKohen is buried as well. And this is how the book of Yeshua finishes. So really it finishes as the total ending of an era. The era of the tzaddikim who brought us into Eretz Yisrael. So Yeshua, of course, is the leader. And Elazar Kohen Gadol, with whom he worked at every step of the way in, in dividing and settling and conquering the land. And they're all passing away at the end of Yeshua. This is the end of the first book of the Nevi'im. And that brings us to the beginning of the next book, Shoftim, which Amir Hashem will begin next week. I've learned uh, Yeshua a few times.